Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church and the founder of Valor Christian College, the School of the Spirit. Now, on this podcast, I'm putting together powerful messages, practical teachings, and insightful lectures from over 40 years of full-time ministry. So get ready, open up your heart, and let's head into today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to our inaugural episode. I decided to launch this podcast with a special eight-episode series called Effective Leadership 300. It's full of biblical principles, wisdom, leadership skills that I've learned in over 40 years of full-time ministry. We all need better strategies, don't we? to accomplish the goals we've set in life, whether you're a business person, whether you work an eight-to-five job or a student, maybe a stay-at-home parent, this leadership series was designed to help you succeed wherever God leads you. I've also prepared a digital study guide for you so you can follow along on your phone or your tablet as you go through these eight episodes with me. Just go to rodparsley.com slash leadership 300 and request yours. And I'll email it to you immediately. With that said, I hope you enjoy this teaching as much as I enjoyed putting it together for you. Here's lesson one from Effective Leadership 300, Professionalism. The proof is in the pudding. Hallelujah. So here we go, Effective Leadership 300. The first thing that I want to share with you is that the proof is in the pudding. Now, if you can tell me what that means, you are a scholar and beyond a scholar because that's what's commonly referred to in the English language as an idiom. Idiom. It's the same root from which we get a word. Anybody have a guess what that word might be? Idiot. An idiom and idiot are from the same root. An idiom is a word in the English language. There are 25,000 of them. Uh, they, They actually are words where the meaning of what is being said is not discoverable as a result of the words presented. In other words, it's a Sherlock Holmes mystery. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's hidden. It's cloaks and daggers. It's, it's, it's shadows and mirrors in our language. This is why words are important. You, you really don't get the meaning of the proof is in the pudding. You all signed up and, and we're glad you did and you paid good, wonderful money to come in here and be taught on a subject that really makes absolutely no sense. Isn't that amazing? But somehow in your psyche, it makes some sense to you. You have some understanding of what we're talking about. For instance, another idiom would be holy cow. Neither of those two words describe the thought that you just had. Do you understand? Neither individually nor corporately. So an idiom, uh, its it's meaning's not discoverable from the words there. So when we say the proof is in the pudding, what proof? Of what? What kind of pudding? 
Now, if, if you go back, the, this thing originated in Britain, the English language, of course, uh, in 1600, about the time the King James Version of the Bible was released. And the phrase is not, is not, was not originally, the proof is in the pudding. The phrase is actually, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. Do you see the complete difference? The proof of the pudding is in the tasting. And pudding was not craft uh, pudding like you think of. It wasn't that, you know, fat-free stuff you get in the refrigerated section of the superstore where you shop for your groceries. Pudding was actually intestine-stuffed sausage. So the proof of the pudding was in the tasting. Why? Didn't have refrigeration like we do now. They'd make those sausages. And if you didn't taste the thing and you went ahead and ate the whole thing, you could get a deadly disease and be gone by the morning because you didn't proof or test the pudding. So proof is not presented to us in this regard as evidence of uh, substantiated evidence, but rather a test. So what the phrase is actually saying is, if you want to know how the pudding is, you got to test it. So we're going to test your professionalism. Everybody say, I want my professionalism to be put to the test. And, and here's why. Because we want to understand that a, a piece of pie, you all have a piece of pie? Okay, take your piece of pie. A piece of pie looks good, smell it. Does it smell good? I can, I can promise you it has wonderful ingredients. The freshest of ingredients. Miss Joni spent a lot of time baking that pie. Forgive me, Jesus. She, she didn't bake that pie, I bought it. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to find out if this pie that looks good and smells good and has quality ingredients, and what, your, what your employer knows is you might interview well, you might look good, you might smell good, you might have a resume from here to Kokomo and back. But they won't know about you and about your professionalism until they put you to the test. Because the proof of your professionalism is in the tasting, right? So go ahead and have your bite right there off that pie. Let's see if it's good for its purpose. How's, how's that? Pretty good? What, what's wrong with your face? It tastes a little salty. It tastes what? It tastes a little salty. Yeah, do you, you put salt in your pie? No, sir. No. So if you were at a restaurant, you'd raise your hand and say, there's something wrong with this pie. There's something wrong with this And that's when you get fired. When your employer discovers you're not what you look like, and you're not what your resume said, and your outward behaviors, and your performance, and your professionalism prove that you are not good for your intended purpose. We call it, in the professional realm, baiting and switching. You may be seated. Would you thank our friends? You can give him a drink of water, because that piece of pie had about seven spoonfuls of salt in it. He was trying to be good. He was trying to say, Pastor, I'm not going to mess up your illustration, but this, this right here is rough. Say, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. So we're going to put your professionalism to the test. I wish 
One of my, one of my lifelong goals was that every person that we hire, now we have, we have had on staff at one time over 600 people in the ministries that God's given us leadership over, which are in themselves businesses as well. So if you're listening and you're a businessman, just think of them as businesses. If you're a homemaker, think of them as you've got 600 family members. All right, and what I'd like to do with all those people is put them on an airplane with me, Elder Canfield, and I'd like to take them for a trip with me for three days. Because what, regardless of what position I may be considering them for, if I put them on the road with me for three days, I will tell you that I will have proven their pudding. Okay, and we're gonna find out why right now. You ready? I'm gonna give you three grammar lessons tonight. We're gonna get a kindergarten PhD, you ready? Here we go, grammar lesson number one. Survey says the difference in commonly confused words. Your, Y-O-U apostrophe R-A is a contraction. It's a combination of two words. Somebody shout out, what are those two words? You are. There's another word that sounds like that, but it is not that word, it's the word Y-O-U-R, your. Now you might think that I, that I, I you know, shouldn't be sharing this. Let me, let me help you right now. Everybody in the room that wants to advance, wave your hand. Are you waving your hand watching online? Everybody in the room that wants to increase in your effectiveness or at least get a raise on your job and that means your husband buying you the car you want for taking care of those youngins. Everybody that wants a raise, raise your hand. Then we need to learn these kinds of things. Your, your, Y-O-U-R, is a word of possession. You say, Pastor, this is strange. No, what I'm going to teach you are things I've, di- I've directly gleaned over 40 years of having staffs uh, up to 600 people at a time. You can look at somebody's resume. You can look at their application and tell a whole lot about them. And I can show you application after application, resume after resume that make mistakes like this. They want to be an administrative assistant, but they apparently don't know the difference between the word your and the contraction you are. Because they send me their application that way. Or I begin to test the pudding and I put them down in a seat and they send me an email that instead of uh, saying, Pastor, your keys were on the desk, they type, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. Now, a couple of things are wrong. A, A, A. You don't know this, what I'm sharing with you right now, or B, you don't pay attention. C, you're willing to turn in unproofed work. D, that tells me I have to wait now for you to go back and fix the mistakes you shouldn't have made in the first place. Say time is money. Never make the same mistake twice. Check your work. And when you're finished, check your work. And when you're done, check your work. And after that, check your work. If you cut lawns for a living, don't leave the trimming undone. And when I call you and say the trimming is not done, don't tell me, well, I guess I should have checked it. You never get what you expect. You only get what you inspect. 
Am I doing all right? What does that mean? Check it. When you finish, check it again and then check it. Don't send your employer a piece of paper with three typographical errors on the first page. He doesn't care that that's your first draft. Hello? What does he know? You're going to eat up time and money going back and fixing what you should have done right the first time. Okay, you're not shouting me down now, but we're going to learn. Possession. You, apostrophe R-E, is a state of being. You're brave. You are beautiful. Yeah? Your means possession. These are your keys. That's your nose, unfortunately. I'm going to give you three quotes tonight. Number one, leadership may be birthed. Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole said this. Dr. Edwin Cole, one of the greatest friends I ever had, said leadership may be birthed in a man, but the quality of that leadership can only be produced over a period of time. Get ready to shout, preparation is the foundation for success. Let me add to that a PRPism. Preparation is never wasted time. What you're doing right now is not wasted time. You've already learned something since you came in these doors you didn't know before, and the only difference in somebody else's success over yours is they know something you don't. Knowledge, wisdom, phronesis, sunesis, Sophia. What is that? I'll share it with you later. Here we go. Scripture number one, Ecclesiastes 10.10. 10. Since a dull axe, look at your neighbor and say dull. Since a dull axe requires great strength. Some folks tell me all the time about the number of hours they put in. And I look back at them completely unimpressed because I know the amount of work turned out in that many hours. So when you take lots of hours and divide that by the amount of work produced, you see an unproductive servant. When I see people walking down a hallway, I see one or the other, uh, uh, they're, they're wearing a shirt and it's one of two things. It's a plus sign or it's a negative sign. Because what I know is they're costing me time or they're costing me money or they are contributing to time and contributing to money. They're either making my burden lighter or they're making my burden heavier. And if you think every employer and every situation that you encounter is not that way, you are wrong, my dear brother and sister. Everybody examines everything you do. Right? You with me? Okay, you learn anything? Shout yes. Since a dull axe requires great strength, here's the thing to do. Sharpen the blade. In other words, you won't have to work as hard if you learn to work smart. If you stop making the same mistake over and over, if you stop turning in incomplete work, if you're a student, don't send in a paper with typographical errors in it and then expect to make an excuse to your professor. That excuse is not going to fly. Okay, here we go. For believers, for believers... What is professionalism in the context of leading others? Here it is. This is foundational. Leadership equals influence. A title does not equal influence. A position does not equal influence. Your personality does not equal influence. 
If you want to be an influencer of people, you have to get this in your spirit right now. You are already a person of influence. So give yourself a hand. Oh, that's terrible. Come on, you're better than that, aren't you? You're more proud of yourself than that, aren't you? Come on. I mean, you've been taught since you were in kindergarten to have a good self-image. We didn't teach you to spell, we didn't teach you to read, but we taught you to have a good self-image. Amen? Because that's where American uh, education has gone. God is not looking for people. Your employer is not looking for people. A prospective husband or wife, a spouse, is not looking for someone that has to be right all the time. We need some folks that don't have to be right. They don't have to be recognized. They don't have to be rewarded. They don't have to be regarded. They don't need a position. They don't need a title. They don't need a pat on the back. They're just happy to be in the army. They're gonna put their shoulder under the plow. They're gonna have a can-do attitude. They're gonna be positive in everything from their posture to their speech, to their words, to their countenance. Smile back at me. Smile back at me. I'm trying to teach you to be an influencer. And it doesn't come because somebody called you an elder. And it doesn't come because somebody called you a vice president. Do you know how many vice presidents in major business there are? If you got a lawn cutting business, man, you got four little guys running around trimming that you call executive vice presidents. Come on, a position doesn't give you influence. Your raging personality doesn't give you influence. How you influence others may need an adjustment. That's the reason God gave us Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. The word perfecting is adjusting. That's the reason you're here tonight. That's the reason you're there tonight, to get adjusted. And some, Anybody ever been to a chiropractor? When something's out of place, it's, it's like the Holy Ghost. It's like the Word of God cutting in and, and healing going out. You never had anything. I went to one the other day and he cracked me from the top of my head to my little toe. And I said, oh! And he said, did that hurt? I said, I never had anything hurt so bad and feel so good all at the same time. Well, that's what this is intended to do. Are you with me? So it's going to hurt bad and feel good. Give yourself a hand. for the perfecting, the adjusting of the saints. Gideon found out that he didn't need 32,000 because 22,000 of them left as cowards. They were fearful because they were idolaters. Idolatry breeds fearfulness because idolaters never see their God do a miracle. If you're worshiping your work, you'll be, you, you, you will be fearful. If you're worshiping a sports figure, You'll be fearful because LeBron will go to Miami and come back. But God is not a man. You can depend on his faithfulness. You can have faith in his faithfulness. And as you worship him, you become strong. 
22,000 left that day, Elder Canfield. The next day, 9,700 left. For this very reason, they had no sense of urgency. Shove somebody and, and tell them, if you get anything tonight, don't miss this. Would you please get it? See, some of you haven't even moved yet. They haven't moved yet. No sense of urgency. No sense of urgency. Say, right now. Right now. Right now. I will not put off till tomorrow what I must do today. Right now. I'll have a sense of urgency. Right now, I will determine to be urgent about getting to work. I will be urgent about getting the paper in on time. I will be urgent about getting my laundry done. I will possess a sense of urgency. Why? That's life. And life more abundantly. All right. I'm calming down now. Fear and faith... Well, let me, let me say this. You must recognize at this moment you already have influence. What you may not recognize is everything that you are doing is either influencing those around you positively or it is influencing those around you negatively. You are an influencer. You can't help but be an influencer. Your smile influences and so does your frown. Your complaining influences and so does your encouragement. Your countenance encourages and discourages. The way you go about washing your dishes or cooking your dinner is encouraging or discouraging someone. And don't look now, it's you. You are either encouraging or discouraging yourself right now. In this very moment. Some people are getting virtually nothing right now. Others, their whole life's coming alive right now. Why? Sense of urgency. They realize positive or negative. That's your choice. You're not a... I, I can't get into it. I've got to hurry. All right. John Maxwell... I'll say this. Influence is a morally neutral term. Morally neutral. Influence is a morally neutral term. Meaning, it's, it's neither positive nor negative. It's what you make it to be. <clears throat> John Maxwell, one of the church's foremost authorities on leadership and incidentally my personal evangelism teacher uh, when I was in college as a sophomore. We had a great relationship together and I've known John for many, many years and I consider him a dear, dear friend. He said everything rises and falls on leadership. Woody Hayes said, you win or you lose with people. I dare you to shout, I'm gonna win. Then you've got to surround yourself with the right people. You gotta have the right quarterback and you gotta have the right running back and you gotta have the right guy getting the water and God's building a team. You, are, you have to learn to build a team in your family. You have to learn to build a team in your workplace. You have to learn to be a team player. Somebody said there's no I in team. Well, there is a me. It's quiet. Professionalism deals in character, spirit, bearing, and behavior. A, leader's, a leader exhibits their influence as they influence others in their assigned role. 
It's how you present yourself to those that you influence. That's leadership. The way you present yourself to those whom you influence. Leaders display their level of professionalism, the level that they possess, or the measure of professionalism that they do not possess by these things. Number one, what they believe. What they believe. Number two, what they say. A whole lot of folks believe a whole lot of stuff and say something totally different. Number three, what they do. And here is the telltale sign. What, how they act. Leaders, external behavior communicates their level of professionalism. Character is what you believe. Spirit is what you say. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now people say silly things all the time like they do something stupid and then they say, well, that wasn't like me. Brother Summerall, every time he'd hear somebody say that around me, he'd, he'd nudge me and he'd say, it, it's exactly like them and everybody knew it but them. So your outward behavior directly affects your ability to lead or influence. influence. Bearing, bearing, think of it that way. Bearing is what you do. What you do. Behavior is how you act. I got something I want to encourage us to do. I was 41 years of age. I had been called upon to preach the funeral service of one of the greatest living legends who had just gone on to heaven. His name was Dr. Lester Sumrall. On my left side was Dr. Oral Roberts sitting beside me. On my right side was Dr. Kenneth E. Hagen. Surrounding that building, his funeral procession was more than 20 miles long. This was an influencer. This was a man that sat with presidents and kings and shook nations. And my, myself at 41 years of age, I wasn't called upon to read a prayer at his memorial service. I was called upon to bring the eulogy. And as I was sitting there, I was looking at him lying in state and I said to myself, what are we going to do? And just as surely as I'm in front of you right now, these words came to my spirit. You are going to raise the standard of moral in intensity, moral integrity, spiritual intensity, physical purity. Now that's a pretty high, that's a pretty high standard because the man that I was about to eulogize had never kissed another woman other than his wife to whom he had been married over 50 years. And God said to me, you will raise the standard of moral integrity. You don't have to worry about me having some sexual liaison. You don't have to worry about me looking at pornography because I made a decision that I was going to raise the standard of moral integrity. I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to cheat, I'm not going to steal. If I get given a dollar to extra at the drive-in window, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going back inside that restaurant and give it to whom it belongs. 
I will raise the standard of moral integrity. I will raise the standard of spiritual intensity. I thought as I was on this platform this morning, spinning like a top, shouting until I couldn't speak, sweating through two, three layers of clothing while I was standing there. And I, I knew people were thinking, why is he doing that? I'm about to be 58 years old. And I watched 22 year olds stand there worshiping God like this. Why do I do that? I do it because God told me to raise the standard of spiritual intensity. And I want people around me that have intensity and urgency and fervency. I want to work with those kind of people. Hallelujah. I want housewives that tear into their laundry and their are here a sweater, there a sock. Hallelujah. I watched my mother who trained me in many of these things. I told her the other day, I said, mother, put your toothbrush down. She was brushing her teeth and I want you to know. <sighs> brushing her teeth with intensity, with fervency, with fire. Be somebody going somewhere to happen. Yeah. Okay, I'm not supposed to be preaching now, y'all. I'm not. I, I got to hurt. Okay. Okay. Leaders display their level of professionalism, the level that they possess, by what they believe, what they say, what they do, how they act. A leader's external behavior communicates the level of professionalism they do or don't possess. So your character, did we already go through that? It's what you believe. We got all that? Well, let's move on then. Our standard for leadership, guess who? Greatest leader ever known to this planet, wasn't he? I wish I'd have thought of that. Lead like Jesus. Brilliance. Lead like Jesus. I'm going to write one. Somebody wrote one called, What Would Jesus Do? And I'm going to write one called, what are you going to do about what Jesus did? Thank you for your enthusiasm. We're going to raise the standard. Hallelujah. Professionalism is the unshakable commitment. <gasps> I just cussed. The unshakable commitment to Christ-like behavior. You want to be an influencer. You want to be a leader. Act like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Act like Jesus. And I need to share with you, he wasn't some sissy, weak-kneed, wallflower Jesus. Hallelujah. Are you glad you came? Are you glad you came online? Thank you. Ken Blanchard, a renowned leadership management expert and the author of the One Minute Manager that sold incidentally 13 million copies. 13 million copies before he gave his life to Christ. After he gave his life to Jesus, uh, he gave us a scriptural study of the life of Jesus as a leader called Lead Like Jesus, which is our recommended reading that uh, hopefully you didn't, you, some of you got, more of you will get next week. Blanchard says, we must effectively align four domains of leadership. 
effectively aligned. Come on, I'm gonna adjust you now. I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you straight. You ready? Our heart and our head are the first two of those domains. They are private in nature. Well, at least for those who don't put every thought that ever dawns on their brain on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You know nobody really wants to see that stuff. People that have time to spend two hours a day on Facebook need my leadership class. I don't, you know, men used to keep the, the pictures of their children in their pocket. And they used to drive each other batty with that. Because some of them pull that wallet out and Now, it's you're getting dinged on Facebook every three minutes because somebody's four-year-old licked a lollipop. Lightning news! Other four-year-olds have licked lollipops. Stop. Nobody cares that you're going to the grocery. Stop being overtly sexual and sensual to your spouse on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's rude and it is degrading to your spouse. Stop it. Ooh, that was strong. Stop it. There are certain things. That's the reason your Bible said Adam knew Eve. Because Eve has some secrets. And you and your wife are supposed to have some secrets. Stop being put I heard a Japanese lady one time say, you white people evermore putting all your stuff out in the street. Stop doing that. Amen. Show your spouse dignity. It doesn't, what do you think? Everybody looks at that and says, oh look, they love each other so much. No, they don't. Those are just words. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. Are you learning anything? We're going to lead like Jesus. The second two are hands and habits. Those are in the public domain. Your leadership behaviors and habits as, are, as they are experienced by others. So you, you have a concept of how you lead. That's in your head and in your heart. Others have a concept of how you lead. That's because they see what you do with your hands and they see what you do with your habits. Heart, head, hands, habits. Say it. Heart, hands, head, habits. Your heart. Your heart toward others has to be right toward Jesus before you will ever be an effective leader. Your heart. Your heart motive. What motivates you is in your heart. And it determines whether or not, now we're gonna get in some, some deep stuff here, get ready. Your heart motivation to be a leader exposes you of one of two things. You are either a servant leader or you are a self-serving leader. That was better than butter beans. You are either a servant, what, what's our example? Jesus, servant leadership. Miss Joni says, we're all at our best when we're serving others. Servant leadership. Or you are a self-serving leader. Possessing and displaying a servant's heart is the only way to influence people toward God. 
whether in church or in secular environments. John 13, 5, Jesus took a towel when he was about to be crucified and he washed his disciples' feet, the lowest form of servanthood. So my question to you is, as a leader, do you want a throne or a towel? A throne or a towel? You want to be served or do you want to serve others? Do you want others to make your dream come true or do you want to help others make their dream come true? Your head, your internal perspective of the role of leadership which will affect how you determine to communicate the purpose, mission, and values of an organization. I'm gonna talk faster now, are you ready? meaning your family, a small business, or a large ministry, you at some time or another will be charged with communicating another's purpose, someone else's purpose, someone else's mission, and someone else's values. You cannot, nor will you ever be able to accomplish that unless you are fully committed to that person and their purpose, their mission, and their values. Some are not good employees, why? They're committed to their vision, not the person who signs their paycheck. They think the department should be run a different way than the person who's running the department. So therefore, they will even attempt to sabotage subconsciously what's going on so that their way looks better. I just won't do what I'm asked to do. And then when it all falls apart, it'll be on them. Well, you're not gonna last anywhere long. Are you listening to me? And it doesn't matter if it's your family. There's, there is a structure to the family. It's not gonna be a good wife who cannot effectively communicate the vision, the purpose of that family. That's how children get in rebellion to fathers. You're quiet. You're quiet. Er. Your hands. This is your responsibility to help those you lead succeed in their assigned roles. I keep coming back to this. If you have a grass cutting business, are you just using the people that labor for you to further your goal? Or do you understand that they're being an apprentice under you in your business your responsibility of Christ-like leadership is to help them perfect their ability to cut grass so that their business will do twice as much as yours. It's quiet. Take it in your family. You using your children for child labor? Are you attempt, or are you attempting to be a servant leader and bring out of them their gifts, their callings? Stop trying to make your child play Little League because you failed at it. Stop attempting to live your life vicariously through someone else. Find out their gift, help them. Help them, lead them to be a better them. Glory to God. Man, I wish I could preach some of this stuff. I, 
Hallelujah. Where, where, where am I at? I'm at hands. Okay, I'm, I'm finished with hands. I'll move on. Habits. Your personal behaviors must stay, here's another curse word, consecrated. People know whether you're a leader or not by your habits, not by what you say. You're late all the time. You're not a leader. You're disheveled all the time. You have no leadership qualities. You're constantly critical. You have no leadership qualities. You talk negatively about people and then take their money. You're not a leader. Your habits say what kind of a leader you are. Shout, I'm gonna be a Jesus. Say it, I'm gonna be a Jesus, Christ-like leader. All right, you have to stay consecrated. Prayer, holy communion. I've urged you for years, receive holy communion every day. Every day, why? It is a discipline. There's power in that blood. Healing is a children's bread. You're, you're suffering diseases, you're suffering setbacks, you're suffering failures because you're not communing. It's a discipline. We look at Shiites and Sunnis and we look down our noses and they pray three times a day. Now the law was fulfilled in Jesus, not done away with. Jesus said, these things should you do, and the more so. We think because we're under grace, we don't need to pray. That's why you're so grouchy. That's why you have trouble with pornography. You're not consecrated, disciplined, disciple in your habits. Make habits. Oh, I'm into pay dirt, man. Make a habit other than watching your favorite television show at such and so time, Rain Man. Stop. Make a habit. Make prayer a habit. Make giving a habit. Make worship a habit. Make blessing somebody a habit. Get up in the morning, make a line on the paper, and say, by the end of this day, I'll put a name on this list that I blessed. This is who I encouraged and then set out to do it. Hallelujah. It's good stuff. Grammar lesson number two from Mr. Webster, defining frequently misused words, the word literally. The word literally. If I hear one more person use the word literally in every other sentence, it's almost like the word awesome. Literally, there's a proper and an improper use of the word literally. The word literally has to do with adhering to the meaning without exaggeration. I asked somebody the other day, how many pews do you think are in World Harvest Church? They said thousands, literally thousands, just like that. So I decided I would use that tonight. There are not literally thousands. There are literally 415. That's the proper use of the word literally. I heard another lady the other day said, I literally couldn't breathe. 
If you literally couldn't breathe, you are dead. Okay? Quote number two, we must use time creatively and forever realize, thank you, Dr. King, the time is always ripe to do what is right. I added one to it. God wants us to be accountable, to be people of our word, to give a full day's work for a full day's pay. Scripture number two, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It is never the wrong time to do the right thing. In addition, there's always time to do what is right. Professionalism in the workplace is exhibited in a commonly, here's how, here's how professionalism is displayed. In a commonly, please don't miss this, a commonly identifiable set of behaviors. A commonly identifiable set of behaviors. That means your world is not now, has never been, and will never be Burger King slogan, have it your way. You don't get it your way. That's rebellion, it's the sin of witchcraft. God is a God of order, structure, timing, design, purpose. We flourish. Stop being afraid to give your children limitations. Stop being afraid if you're a coach to give discipline to those that you're leading. Stop giving your children an allowance, mom, for breathing. Teach, train, discipline, discipline, say yes. There is an accepted behavior in every situation and you will forever be accountable to someone even if it's simply yourself or God. Let me ask you a question. Who required me to be here tonight? Who required me to go to bed at two o'clock this morning and get back up at 5.15? Who required me to be here and worship with that strength? I'm, not, I'm giving you an example. No one required me. Somebody says, the Lord. Well, I can leave right now. I don't, there's nothing forcing me. And some of you, have 14 bosses, 72 alarm clocks, 82 snooze buttons to try to get you to do something. You're not self-motivated. Amen. But you're going to be. I said you're going to be. Get an organizational chart. There's always an organizational chart. There's always a chain of command. Get used to it. Enjoy it. Embrace accountability. The law is not a hard taskmaster to the obedient. Only to the rebellious. Hallelujah. That's good stuff, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to teach some of this. All right. John MacArthur, and you can find it uh, in, in this book. You can find it. There are a whole lot of things uh, he gives us that on leadership to a list of behaviors 
for employees at any level in any organization. Now I added about 15 bullet points under every one of these nine. I really don't have time to go through them, but let me just list them out for you. You ready? Number one, get organized. Number two, learn to use your time wisely. Number three, be edified, not entertained. I, I live this way. I, I'm possessed with it. I went out to see the Harvest Prep football team for a few minutes last night. And before I got off the field, Elder Brian Ferris was there with me. I, I said, please get me off this field because I'm gonna find another 25 things that need fixed right now. My wife and I tried to go to Disney World, Dr. Dupree. Disney World, my children are playing in the pool. And I'm fixing the building. You know, that, that's cracking off up there. And they, if they would take, it just never stops. It never stops. Some of, some of us could walk by a picture in our own office that's been tilted at a 40 degree angle for the last two years and never walk over there and straighten it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm driven to a quality of excellence, not satisfied with mediocre and almost and just enough. Neither should you be because Jesus wasn't. Uh, pay attention to small things. People want to preach. They want to lead thousands in the ministry. I'll just use that as an example. You, you give them two minutes to make an announcement and there are three announcements. Number one, they don't take any time to memorize the announcements, know what they're about. Number two, they take five minutes instead of two. Why? They don't pay attention to details. They don't pay attention to small things. If you never pay attention to small things, you will never be the ruler over great things. That's a PRPism. Uh, pay attention. Meet others' needs wherever you can. Open a door. Carry a bag. If you're in a meeting and your employer says, or you're a child and you're in a family meeting, whatever context it's in, and someone says, we need someone to flip the hamburgers, let your hand go up like a reflex. Like a reflex. I'll do it. I've had employees sit around tables with 12 and 15 people for years and never raise their hand to volunteer. I've had other people that I have to make them stop. I haven't even asked the question yet. Whatever it is, I'll do it. Every one of those people have advanced through the ranks around me like lightning. Because they have a can-do, I will, I want to attitude. Never ever say, you're blessed that I'm here. That's a real quick way to the exit. Be sure to finish, oh dear Lord, help us Jesus, finish what you commit to. Never, ever, 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 
ever, ever, ever, ever, ever, ever, ever make an excuse. Own your work. Own your behavior. You set out to do a thing, do it. Or break your neck trying. Uh, keep, oh Jesus, keep your commitment. Under promise, overperform. Oh, Pastor, I'm, I'm going to turn this thing around. I'm gonna, and the thing went straight to the toilet ever since they walked through the door. I'm going to be the best lawn cutter you ever had in your life. And they scalp off the top of your grass. Stop. Undersell, overperform. Undersell, overperform. That way everybody around you will be saying, well, they did better than I thought they'd do. Instead of they didn't live up to half of what they talked about. Keep your commitments. Never make excuses. Develop a reputation for doing what you say. Develop a reputation for doing what you say. Tell yourself no, even if it's okay to say yes. Now, I have 20 bullet points under that. Live a fasted life. Read instead of watching television. Do what's difficult instead of what's easy. Push away from the table, I wrote it down, and the french fries. Push away. Most people drive down the road 250 pounds overweight with a Big Mac in one hand and reaching through the steering wheel drive and shoving 14 french fries at one time in their mouth. What does that tell you? No discipline. No self-control. Come on. Come on. Oh, man, I'm wishing. Ah. Robert Frost, America's best loved poet laureate. I shall telling this with, I'd be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a, in a, in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. The person who do, does what's necessary. The person who goes the extra mile. The person who shows up 10 minutes early and leaves 10 minutes late without complaining all the way through the whole business. Never ever accept a position anywhere from flipping hamburgers at McDonald's to being the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation and agree to a wage and then complain about it three weeks later. Well, I take a, took a cut to come here. Well, go back where you were. Quick, hurry. No, no. Are you, are you learning anything? I'm becoming timid. Earn your pay. Read my cartoon. Read my cartoon. Look, guy walks into his boss and says, our CEO. Got a $400 million bonus this year. Can I get that too? Wally, he got that much because he's a million times more important than you. Fair enough, says Wally. Can I have the $400 you say I'm worth? <laughs> Self-presentation matters. Learn etiquette. There's a dress code no matter where you are. There's a dress code, no matter where you are. 
my, my wonderful football coaches here, he's not gonna walk out on the football field and look like he's going to a picnic, is he? No, there's a, there's a dress coat. I walked into the doctor's office the other day. There were three ladies sitting there, three of them. Three of them, this is a professional office. This is a medical doctor. In fact, a surgeon. The man has two Bentleys. And the people in his front office look like they came off skid row, their hair disheveled, they were sitting, answering the phone, putting their makeup on. Put your makeup on on your own time. Somebody's paying you to answer a phone, not put your makeup on. Get up out of bed. Brush your hair with something other than a wagon wheel. Brush your teeth with something other than Crisco. Polish your shoes with something other than a Hershey bar. Look like a blessing going somewhere to explode. It matters. Etiquette matters. Personal hygiene matters. Those women, those women, it was embarrassing. I'm sorry, I'm a normal red-blooded man, but some stuff just begs to be covered up, ladies. You're in a professional workplace. Nobody wants to see your 14 inches of cleavage. Nobody wants, no. That's, that's unprofessional. And then all day long, you're going like this. Some guy walks by and you're like, oh, cover it up. Amen. Be professional. I'm standing there and I'm like, Jesus, son of God. Yeah, here's my, here's my health card. And it wasn't because I was trying not to lust. It was, I was trying. Grammar lesson number three. What's wrong with this picture? Real life examples of improper grammar. You like my Kroger sign? To serve you health needs. I don't want any health needs, thank you. And don't be talking to me about it's cultural. Stop that. You degrade yourself when you say that. I'm a hillbilly and nobody can butcher the English language as well as we can. But that's another one of my lessons. Self-improve, self-train. Never stop, never stop learning. I had to teach myself. Some of you are like, I wish pastor would slow down talking. I had to train myself to talk fast. I took a tape recorder, recorded my own voice and would speed that recorder up so that I could match how those words sounded to try to do away with as much of a Southern drawl as I could because Southern drawls, regardless in our culture, are perceived as unintelligent. Now I can stand back and say, well, that's not right of y'all to perceive it that way. Or I can do something about it myself. I can take personal responsibility. I can say, no, your attitude is wrong, but that doesn't mean I have to get a wrong attitude because I want to lead you. I want to influence you. 
learn which fork to use at a table. Oh, God's going to put me in front of kings. You'll embarrass yourself if he does. You don't know which fork to use. You don't know etiquette. You don't know proper grammar. You don't know manners. I've never heard you say thank you. We haven't learned yet the proper way to introduce individuals. There's an etiquette to how you introduce individuals. Somebody is supposed to be introduced before the person you're introducing. There's an etiquette for that. You have to learn it. You walk into a United States Senator's office, as I've had the privilege to do many, many, many times, and start to introduce, and he will know immediately whether he ought to pay any attention to you whatsoever. Because you haven't even done, gone and got an etiquette book, or gone online, or talked it to Surrey, Siri, or whatever her name is, I call her Shirley, <laughs> and other things. Come on, let's learn. You want to be leaders? You want to be influencers? Then we have to learn. Amen? Amen. Oh, well, there it all is. Maybe I'll give the rest of it to you online. Know your own strengths and weaknesses. Organize everything from your socks to your, to your car glove box. I know where everything is in my briefcase right now. And anybody that's around me better know where everything goes in my briefcase or they won't be helping me with my briefcase. My glasses go here, not there. Why? Because I don't have time to look for them. I mean, where are my glasses? You have a hard time finding your way to your own house. Amen. Amen. Well, have you been blessed? Ooh. Commit to personal growth. Do it. Just commit to it. That's why you're here. So give yourself a great big, I did really well. Come on, give yourself a great big, I did really well. Perfect your craft. Perfect your craft. If you're a teacher, take continuing education. If you're, if you're involved in real estate, continue to train yourself. Grow in your craft. Do it better than you did it the last time. Hallelujah. And you'll always advance. The Lord bless these. Oh God, help them. Help us all to become the leaders you want us to be. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Say, I'm a leader. Right now, I'm an influencer. Thanks for listening to this first episode. In the next episode, we'll be taking a close look at the style of leadership Jesus himself used and the one he taught his disciples. Like I mentioned earlier, be sure to go to rodparsley.com slash leadership 300 and request your free copy of the digital study guide so you can follow along with me next time. I pray God's blessing over you today, and I hope you'll listen again real soon.